0: Good day, and welcome to For the Love of Pets. This is Dr. Donald Shrews from the Potts Grove Animal Hospital in lovely Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Today, we're going to talk about something that I think is really important for clients to know and understand, and understand why it's so important for your pet's health overall, not only in the short term, but very much in the long term. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the physical exam. I'm talking about having your animal checked out yearly by a veterinarian. Um, and why we really recommend, and why the AVMA recommends uh, yearly physical examinations. So stay with us, this is an important information to know and how to really keep your pet healthy for a very long time. So we'll be back in just a minute and we'll get started. Good day and welcome back to For the Love of Pets. Again, I'm Dr. Donald Shreves. I'm the owner and operator of the Potts Grove Animal Hospital in lovely Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And today we're going to talk about something that I think is very important that really a lot of owners don't understand the importance of, and that is the physical examination. You know, I see so many people that take their pets to vaccine clinics to get their shots because they think that's what's the most important thing. And I'm not saying that vaccines aren't important, because they are. They help protect pets against a lot of nasty, nasty diseases, and they keep them healthy. But what's really important is the physical examination. And that's something that the pets are not getting when you take them to the vaccine clinic. Because that examination is really the most key thing in keeping your animal healthy and safe over the years because that's where we look at different parts of the animal's body and we look to find any abnormalities or problems that could be occurring. And the reason we want to do that is because we want to find these problems early. We don't want to find them when the animal is in the throes of the symptoms of a physical problem or a disease because it becomes much harder to treat and help the animal at that stage of the game. We want to catch these things early. We want to know that it's there so we can prepare the client with letting them know what symptoms may occur, what to watch for. And if these happen, that we need to pursue further testing. Or if at that point in time, we feel like further testing is already needed. And that's really where the physical examination um, helps so much. Now, I know I've had clients out there that say, you know, Doc, I know my dog. I know it would know if she's not feeling well. Um, and then I'll get her into you when she's sick. But, you know, I take her to the clinic because it's cheaper, and I can get her shots done, and it doesn't cost me as much as it would if I brought them to you. And I understand that cost sometimes can be a factor. But even if you get your shots at a vaccine clinic, you really still should get your animal examined once a year by a veterinarian. Get her looked at, him looked at, Make sure there's not a problem that's developing. And yes, you probably know your pets better than any veterinarian ever would. But a lot of these problems are asymptomatic at times. And we're only going to find them if we're looking for them on a physical examination. And if we're not doing physical exams, these problems get bypassed. There is a lot of times the questions we ask are so key and important because what we may think of as something very important or a crucial symptom. I've had a lot of owners pass off as nothing. And in the end, catching it early, catching that symptom, knowing that that symptom is could potentially be a problem is important. And you know, owners know their pets and they love their pets and I'm not denying that. I love my girls so much and you do know your pets so well, but You're still not an experienced and educated veterinarian. And that is the difference. Things that you think you would know, you may not. Or you may not know the significance of that we're going to determine. And that's why getting your your cat or dog in for an examination once a year is so important. Um, Because it really can mean life or death down the road. So... Why do we do in a physical exam? Well, if you come into my office for a physical examination, um, we're going to take you in the room, okay? My tech is going to weigh your animal. And that's very important because knowing what a pet's weight is, is important because did they lose weight? Did they gain weight? Um, and if they did, is there a reason for it? Or are there other symptoms that may lead you into some concerning areas, such as with weight loss? Um, are they drinking a lot? Because if you got weight loss and a lot of drinking, Hmm. I'm going to start thinking about diabetes. If it's a cat, potentially hyperthyroidism as well. Um, Did they gain weight and it's a dog and, you know, they're not drinking a lot, but they're kind of sluggish and they're only like six or seven years old. Hmm. Possible hypothyroidism, you know. But most owners wouldn't be able to tell you if their dog gained five or ten pounds um, in a lot of cases because they don't weigh them they didn't know what the previous weight was they don't know what the current weight was and that's why our medical records are so important to have things like the weights in them and by law they're supposed to Um, but those weights help us to monitor what's happening with the patient's um, weight over time that could certainly indicate potentially a disease process underlying it second thing my uh, receptionist or technician is going to do is take the animal's temperature Now, temperature is important for indications of potential infection, you know, and everybody knows you get an infection, you can certainly run a fever, but I don't know how many times I've been asked by a patient, what's the normal temperature on a dog or cat? So, if you don't know what their normal temperature is and you want to take their temperature at home, how are you going to know if their temperature is elevated or not? Because I'll take a temperature and say, "Okay, well, it's 102.3. And owners will go, oh, my God, it's so high. But what they don't understand is normal temperature is 101 to 102 and a half. So that's normal. Now, for us, 102.3 would be a concern. That's a significant fever. But for a dog or cat, that's relatively normal. So you have to know the normals, and you have to know what is abnormal. And you also have to know why is it abnormal. If I have a dog that comes in and he's been bouncing around outside and he's real excited and he's panting and his temperature comes up 103, I'm not going to bat an eye at that. That dog has elevated his body temperature just by his excitement and his stress and his energy level. But if that same dog comes in and he's not really moving too much and he's just kind of laying there and his temperature comes up 103, I'm going to think differently about that temperature because that could certainly be a fever. Um, you know, does he feel warm to the touch? You know, and yes, they should feel warm to us. Their body, normal body temperatures are above ours. But if you've been touching animals for as long as I have, and I'm talking 23 years, a lot of times you can detect an elevated temperature just by when you're doing your physical exam and you go, hmm, I may need to check this dog's temperature if it hadn't already been done by your receptionist. And how do you check temperature well we have ear thermometers that we use um, for our patients but they're not the most accurate they can be off um, so if the patient is acting normal and we take an ear temperature and it's relatively normal i can believe that but if the patient is acting sick they're sluggish they're lethargic you could tell they don't feel good And I get a low or normal temperature, I might recheck that by a rectal thermometer because that is by far much more accurate. Now, it's also more invasive to the pet, which is one of the reasons why I don't like to do it unless I feel I have to, because they don't appreciate it and I don't blame them for that. But you have to know what their temperature is um, if there is any indication of sickness or illness happening. So... My receptionist can also get some basic questions answered, Um, you know, how are they doing at home? Are they eating? Are they drinking? Um, And tell me some basic information so I have an idea of what I'm going into within the room on that physical exam. Is it in for just a wellness exam and vaccinations? Is it a cat that's been very lethargic and it goes outside and potentially could have gotten to a fight and an infection? Um, Has it been vomiting? Is it you know is it running a fever has it has the owner thinks it's lost weight or is it drinking excessively i mean these are all simple questions that my re- re- technician could ask when the animal was brought in from the owners that they can pass on to me which at least will give me a basic idea on which way um, to proceed with my physical exam and my thought process so that A lot of times happens before I even walk into the room. Now, some of my receptionists/slash technicians are very comfortable in taking um, temperature or not temperatures, uh, respiratory rates, heart rates, um, and will sometimes get those for me um, before I'm even walking in, and that's wonderful. If not, as part of my normal physical exam, I'll get a heart rate and a respiratory rate um, once I go into my examination. So. That's the beginning part of a physical exam, and already we've got some key information in weight, key information in temperature, um, and just some basic questions that could punch us in one direction or another when it comes to doing the physical. So that's step one. After the break, we're going to come back with step two and start the actual physical exam. So stick with us. All right, welcome back to For the Love of Pets. This is part two of the importance of a physical examination. So in part one, we talked about um, how just basic information that my receptionists and technicians can get when they put the client and the patient in the room can already start to formulate my thought process in what's going on with a sick animal um, or if there's something maybe worrisome in an animal that's acting normal and the owner thinks is very normal so now part two is me coming into the room um, to examine the patient i always greet the client and i try to remember to introduce myself but sometimes i do forget just simply because i'm the only doctor present within my practice so if you come into my practice you will see me so i am already a, kind of assume that most people know who i am but sometimes i forget to introduce myself Or my technician, who's with us in the room, um, which I should do, um, and we'll try to do better with in the future. So, I also take a look at the chart and look at the animal's name, so I can call him or her by name, and look at the sex, so I can say him or her properly too, because it is one. You know, most owners are very, very caring about their pets, and if you call a him or her or vice versa, or you call it by a wrong name, they can get upset and rightfully so. I also take a quick look at the chart to see if it, how old an animal is because age definitely can be a key in factor in certain diseases because as some animals get older, there's more potential different diseases occur. And I look at why the patient is here and all this information is usually written on the examination sheet that we have in the file. But then, even though I have an idea about why the patient is here, I take a moment, I stop. I look at the owner and I say, okay, what's going on with so-and-so? Or, you know, do you have any concerns or problems uh, with Fluffy um, that you want to relate to me? And then I stop and I listen. And I look at the owner and I take in what they're telling me. I try not to interrupt too much until I get the full story. But I want to get it from the owner directly. And I want to get it in their own terms, in their own words. Um, Once I have that information, I may ask a few additional questions um, about what they told me. Like if they're vomiting, when are they vomiting? What are they vomiting? What does it look like? Uh, Is there any diarrhea with it? Um, You know, they're saying they're drinking a lot. Well, when did that start? When did the problem start? How long has it been going on? Um, Is any other animal in the house sick? Um, You know, these are all very much important information to provide to the veterinarian to help them try to determine what's going on with the patient. So I find it's better though to stop and listen rather than trying to scribble a lot of notes down during this time period. You can make some basic notes, but I like to stand back and look at the client and show them that I am listening to what they're saying. So once I've got the basic information, Then, I will start my basic physical examination of the animal. So, the first thing I'm going to do is I usually am going to look at the patient's eyes. So, I gently elevate the head so they're looking up at me, and I just look at the eyes with my naked eye. I look to see, is there any redness? Is there any swelling? Is there any uh, potential possibility of a cataract that I can see? Is there any conjunctivitis? Okay, which is inflammation in the pink around the eye. Is there any potential looks of an ulcer on the cornea or damage to the cornea? Any neovascularization? Any hyperpigmentation of the cornea? These are all things I'm looking at in a quick glance at both eyes. Um, I do and will go back in a few moments and examine the eyes a little bit better, but this is just a quick glance. And then I will proceed on to lift each ear and look in the ear. Again, just looking with my naked eye, I'm looking for any evidence of redness, or um, debris, wax, um, infection, irritation, bleeding, excoriations, Um, looking for all of this. So is there something indicating to me that the animal's ear is abnormal or is this bothering the patient? And it's just a quick glance at each ear, but you can get a lot of information in just that quick glance. Then I'll usually go back and look at the patient's teeth, provided they are nice enough to let me do that. Obviously not animals are very, not all animals are very happy about having people lift their lips and look in their mouth, and some will definitely try to bite you, and you have to be on your guard for this, but it's important to get a look at the teeth. It also allows you to get a look at the gum line. We're looking at the gums because we're looking at the color of the animal. Is it pink? Is it purple? Is it blue? Is it white? Um, is it a pale pink? Um, you know, pale is not a color. I've been taught that. I was told that quite a bit back in vet school. So they say the gums are pale. Pale what? Pale pink? Pale blue? Pale purple? Pale is not a color. Pale is a description. Just a little uh, note there for the owners. Then I'm also looking at the teeth. I'm looking, is there any evidence of periodontal disease? Is there any gingivitis in the gum line near the teeth? Is there any broken teeth? Is there um, any areas that could indicate an abscess or infection in the mouth? Um, Is there tartar? You know, these are all the things that just a quick look in the mouth give me. Um, And while I'm doing this, I am constantly talking to the patient, I'm talking to the owner, I am asking questions and the questions we'll get into in a few minutes. But this is where the examination starts is up at the head. Now, every doctor does an examination differently. The key thing as part of being a doctor is that you get a routine of what questions you ask initially as your general questions and what you examine. Okay, make it a routine. Do it the same way every time. The reason you do that is that way you don't miss anything. If you're jumping all over the place, then you could easily miss something that could be important. Which is why whenever I do a physical exam, even if the patient has an obvious problem, I'm going to give the rest of them a quick once over. I'm going to make sure the eyes and the ears are okay, that the teeth are okay, lymph nodes palpate normally. I'm going to look at the skin. Even the dog's got a hanging and broken leg. I'm going to do all that because I want to make sure there's nothing else I'm missing. And that's why a full physical exam should be done. So. After I've quick glanced at the eyes, the ears, and the mouth, then we're going to go back to the eyes. But now we're going to take the ophthalmoscope with me. And you could use a direct ophthalmoscope or you could use an indirect ophthalmoscope, whatever you're comfortable with or whatever you like using. I tend to use the direct um, because I tend to find it a little easier to do than the indirect, though I can do the indirect as well but we're going to go back and we're going to look in the eyes. Now what am I looking for? I'm still looking for evidence of cataracts in the eye. So I can now see through the pupil into the back portion of the eye. I can see to the I can see the lens. Is there a cataract or a small cataract, large cataract? So that's number 1. Two, I'm looking at the retina. So I'm looking at the back of the eye. I'm looking at the reflection off of the tapetum, which is the part of the retina that reflects and, you know, am I getting a good reflection? You can have things like retinal degeneration retinal detachment with trauma or elevated blood pressures or glaucoma. So that's what I'm looking for. Third, any evidence of a lens luxation. The lens can be traumatically or, again, through glaucoma, luxated into the interior portion of the eye, um, which is definitely what we're looking for. Um, We're looking for any corneal uh, damage, ulcerations, uh, scratches, things like that. We're also looking for pupillary light reflex. So we're looking at the constriction of the pupil with the light going in because we want to make sure that's normal and that's kind of an indication of the functionality of the retina. So these are all the things that we're looking for in a quick glance with a light into your patient's eyes. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to look in the ears with a light. Now we're going to be able to look farther down in. We're going to be able to look for deep down debris, foreign bodies, tumors, uh, if we go deep enough, we can view the tympanic membrane. Is the eardrum, which is a fancy term for the eardrum, is that eardrum intact? Is there any evidence of swelling of the eardrum? Is there any pus or other yuck down in the ear? And sometimes you can see all this, and sometimes not. Now you got to remember the way an ear canal is shaped in an animal. It goes down, so vertically, and then it makes a almost ninety degree bend, and then it goes in. Okay. And then you get to the eardrum. So fluid and debris and infection can sit in that bend. And they literally have to fight gravity to come out of the ear. That's why ear infections can be very difficult to get rid of because there's no good exit. Um, And sometimes in really severe enough cases, you got to make one. Um, And that's a story for another podcast. So anyway, so now we've looked in the ear with a light we can see further in there. Do we need to get an ear swab from that ear? If there's an infection, you better be taking a swab. You better be going to look at that swab under the microscope, stain it with new Nethylene Blue, stain it with Difquik, um Gram stain it, whatever you prefer to stain it with. But you want to know what organisms are going on in that animal's ear. Is it yeast? Is it bacteria? Is it a combination of both? Um, and that's what's going to help you decide about certain cleaners and medicines, what's going to work best for you. So... You know, that's very important with the ears. Now, with the mouth, sometimes I'll go back and look at that with an ultraviolet light. Tartar will show up as a bright pink under a UV light when you, when you shine it on the teeth. So teeth that may not look too bad. You put it under the UV light and all of a sudden they light up like a Christmas tree. Definitely is very dramatic for owners. They see that and they understand that there's tartar on the teeth. Some doctors like to do an vet strip, which is a uh, strip that you wipe along the teeth and then it turns colors to determine on uh, tartar, but more importantly, periodontal disease. Um, so certainly that's an option you could do it as well at this point. And that helps you to examine the mouth. You can open the mouth, you can look at the tongue, you can look at you know everything in the back of the throat to make sure there's really nothing going on in there. The next step In my physical examination, at this point, is usually the palpate, the submandibular, and the prescrapular lymph nodes. Now, we and animals have lymph nodes all over our body. Our lymph system is part of our immune system. Um, And what we're checking for is any enlargement to the lymph nodes. Now, lymph nodes will primarily enlarge for two reasons, cancer and infection. And some of the things that you can help differentiate between the two is how many lymph nodes are enlarged, And where are they enlarged? Um, There are primarily four lymph nodes that sets of lymph nodes we can palpate on the body very easily. There is the submandibular, so they sit right underneath the jawline. And if you've ever gone to your doctor and they've palpated up on your throat and around your jaws, that's what they're feeling. They're feeling your submandibular lymph nodes. Um, And then the prescapulars, which are just in front of the shoulder blades, um, are the second really easily palpable pair. The third pair is in the inguinal area, which is in the inside of the back legs, right in the groin area. And then the fourth one are the popliteals, which sit right behind the knee in the back legs. So you feel these, and you'll feel them all as you progress through the physical exam. But I go to the prescapulars, I go to the uh, submandibulars after I finish looking at the mouth, the eyes, and the ears. So this kind of completes the head area of the physical examination. So now we're going to progress on further back. I always work from the head to the tail, which is the way I was taught. So we're going to take a few minutes break and then we're going to be back and we're going to continue on in the physical examination of the pet. All right. Welcome back to For the Love of Pets. This is, again, Dr. Donald Shreves. And today we're talking about the physical examination, how to do it, what we're looking for and why it's so important. We've already covered um, the beginning part of when a client comes in and what my receptionists and technicians can do before I even enter the room. And then part two, we began hearing about my physical examination beginning at the eyes and the ears and the head area. So now we're going to progress into our next part of our physical examination. So after we've palpated the submandibular and the prescapular lymph nodes, we're going to move on. To the chest area so we're gonna pull out our stethoscope and we're gonna take a listen to the patient's heart now what are we listening for we're listening for murmurs what's a murmur a murmur is a noise in the heartbeat and usually when you hear a murmur that's indicating that there's some type of churning of the blood within the heart for some reason most of the time it tends to be a valve not opening or closing properly Um, But it could also indicate other potential heart conditions um, When you hear a murmur depending on the murmur that you hear you can have soft murmurs loud murmurs localized murmurs you can have constant murmurs um, (coughs) And all those mean very different types of heart conditions So we listen on the left side of the chest and then we listen on the right side because certain murmurs are heard better on the left or the right so Once we're done actually listening for the murmurs, we then want to get a heart rate if our technician has not already gotten that. So we want to count uh, the number of heartbeats. Now, there are multiple ways to do this. Some people will do 10 seconds and multiply by 6. Some people will do 6 seconds and multiply by 10. Some people like to do 15 seconds and multiply by 4. That's fine. Any of them will give you a pretty accurate heart rate. Um, so you want to make sure that the rate is fairly normal and depending on the size of the dog can depend on what the normal is. A larger dog will have a slower heart rate, um, than a smaller dog. So a great Danes heart rate is going to be a little slower than a Chihuahua, but you want to make sure that it is a good rate and you also want to be listening to the rhythm of the heart and you want to make sure that it is a good, steady rhythm that there are no misbeats, beats, no dropped beats. Now, you can get what they call a sinus rhythm, um, which is actually a normal rhythm, but you can get a sinus arrhythmia, which is actually pretty normal. Um, so when a patient breathes, sometimes you'll get an extended uh, time in between the beats, and that can be very, very normal. It's almost always tied to a breath, uh, and it's nothing to worry about. So. Um, But if we start to hear, you know, you're always hearing, you know, every third beat is dropped. That could be a concern. That could indicate potential heart block. Um, And those are things that you're going to want to need to get checked out. Now, this is where I start to come into where people say to me, well, I know my dog and my dog is fine. But if your dog has an arrhythmia or a murmur, how are you going to know that? Unless you're trained to listen for murmurs, unless you're trained to be able to interpret the murmur, Unless you're trained to be able to know what a normal heart rhythm is, there's no way you could possibly know that your dog has a murmur and arrhythmia. Now, some animals have murmurs that they live with their whole life and never have any symptoms from them. And asymptomatic murmurs happen all the time. But what happens when they start to become symptomatic? Well, if you know that there's a murmur there, the doctor can educate you on what to listen for, Or what kind of symptoms to watch for to determine that, hmm, potentially my dog's heart might be giving him some problems. But if we don't know there's a murmur there, then potentially you could put your dog in harmful situations that could lead to um, arrhythmias that could become potentially dangerous. Or even potentially infarctions, which is just a 10 cent word for a heart attack. Um... So if we see things and we hear murmurs, we are a lot of times going to advise getting them evaluated with x-rays. And the most and best way of uh, evaluating the heart is with an echocardiogram. Now, a lot of doctors, including myself, do not have the equipment to do an echocardiogram. Um, So in most cases, that's something we're going to discuss about referring you down to a cardiac specialist to have evaluated. Uh, Especially if you ever want to have your animal put under anesthesia for any reason. Um, also, you may want to, if we get a heart murmur and your your dog has a really bad teeth, well, unfortunately, bad teeth can cause bacterial endocarditis, usually on the valves, and that causes murmurs and other heart problems. So again, there are things that an echocardiogram can find out. And the only way we're going to know this is if we t- get a physical exam and listen to the animal's heart. Now, even if my technician or, um, receptionist get a heart rate while they have the animal in the room, I'm still going to listen to that patient's heart and I'm still going to check for arrhythmias and murmurs because they're not trained to do that. They're just making a count. The next step we proceed on to with the chest is the lungs because that's the other portion in the chest that we're really looking at. So we want to listen in multiple areas on both sides of the chest to evaluate for airflow, to listen for abnormal noises such as Uh, rails or wheezes, uh, fluid sounds that could potentially indicate a heart problem leading to congestive heart failure, Uh, raspiness that could potentially indicate infection, Um, you know, bronchitis, pneumonias, lower respiratory infections do happen in animals just like they do in people. So we want to evaluate them for that and determine if there's anything that we might need to further evaluate with diagnostics such as x-rays or um, even things like endoscopy and uh, transtracheal or bronchoscopal washes, um, which, again, are things we usually have to send to a specialist for. Um, but, again, we're looking for problems, You know, and I hate to mention the C word, but, you know, cancer. One of the first places cancer will spread to is the lungs. So we're going to hear noises in there, and you're going to see coughing. So, again, these are symptoms you know we're looking for as well as um, noise abnormalities that we're looking for as well Um, and that's what we're going to evaluate when we're listening to the animal's chest Um, we may look at the front legs we may peek at the front feet looking for evidence of allergies some doctors do some doctors don't Um, again if it's a cat we may be looking for evidence of biliary dermatitis around the head and chest so there are other things that we're gonna look for in the chest area as well. And once we finish finished listening to the heart and the lungs, we're gonna pre- proceed onto the abdomen. And we're gonna palpate the patient's abdomen. So we're gonna feel it. We're gonna kinda of squeeze it a little bit. We're gonna feel the internal organs. What we're looking for, what we're feeling for is any pain. If we touch something and it's hurting the animal, we wanna know that. If uh, we're also gonna be looking for organomegaly, Which is an enlargement of the organs whether it's the liver the spleen the kidneys Um, they can all be enlarged depending on different uh, disease processes and that includes cancer renal failure liver failure um, can all certainly cause enlargement organomegaly you can get a thickening of the intestinal tract what we kind of call a ropey intestinal tract from inflammatory bowel disease or uh, neoplastic Uh, problems of the intestine. So those are things we're going to feel for. Um, We're going to feel for potentially enlarged lymph nodes. If they're really enlarged, we're going to feel for evidence of masses within the abdomen. So liver tumors, um, splenic tumors, things like that, Um, uh, intestinal or mesenteric tumors. We're going to feel the bladder. Does it feel small? Does it feel large? Does it feel thickened? which could indicate urinary tract infection or um, other urinary diseases. Sometimes you can feel stones within the bladder. Um, So those are all things we're we're feeling for when we're palpating the abdomen. Again, you may know your animal, but if your animal is developing a tumor or it's developing a stone, how are you going to know? A lot of times you're not because you're not trained to feel or know the symptoms. Um, We're also at this point going to check the inguinal lymph nodes. And then I usually check the popliteal lymph nodes as well while I'm right there. And then one of the last things I'll do on my basic physical exam is I'm going to check around the base of the tail for fleas. Because this is the most common area you're going to find fleas on a dog and a cat. So I'm going to run a flea comb through that area looking for evidence of fleas or flea dirt. We're going to look for areas of alopecia or hair loss. And then a lot of times if they're an intact male i'm going to palpate the testicles check to make sure that one's not larger than the other which could certainly indicate a testicular tumor Um, or i'm going to check the vaginal area on a female especially if she's a non-spade female looking for any evidence of abnormal discharge that could potentially uh make me consider a pyometra or a uterine infection which is a life-threatening condition so this is just a basic physical exam, and in a lot of cases, everything comes out normal, and that's the way we want it to be. But if there's a problem that we don't know about and we find it, it's good to know because problems are easier to deal with and treat early on rather than later on down the road. Prime example, if you get a cavity, would you rather have them treat it when it's a cavity and it's small and they just got to go in and kind of do a little drilling and patch it up or would you rather wait until the infection has burrowed its way until you into the tooth root and you're looking at either pulling the tooth or doing a root canal? Most people are going to rather deal with it when it's a cavity. And that's kind of the same idea. We want to find these problems while they're still small, while they're still little, and they're easy to deal with. And that's why getting a physical examination is so important. Now we're gonna take one more break and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about some of the questions that I'd like to ask during my routine physical exam. And some of these are really important um, because they help us to, again, look for certain specific symptoms when it comes to certain specific diseases. So hang with us and I'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to For the Love of Pets. Again, I'm Dr. Donald Shreves, owner and operator of the Potts Grove Animal Hospital. And today we've been talking about a physical examination of your pet and why it's so important to get that done yearly to look for problems what a doctor is looking for and why it's so important to have a doctor check your pet once a year so now we've talked about the actual physical exam how we check each individual area of the body and what we're really looking for and what kind of things we're thinking about as we're looking so what we have to talk about last of course is the questions that go along with the physical exam and every doctor has their own set of questions that they're gonna ask um, when they're doing a physical examination, and it could be in any order. Um, And the majority of them are probably the same. Now there are general questions, and then of course there are uh, specific questions, especially when presented with a uh, concern or problem by the owner. So general questions that I tend to ask, um, is the animal eating and drinking normally? What I'm looking for here is, there is there any increase or decrease in the appetite? Increase in the appetite could certainly indicate um, some problems uh, such as diabetes or thyroid problems or potentially Cushing's disease. Uh, Or is there a decrease in the appetite which could indicate evidence of uh, infection or uh, any kind of metabolic disease like liver or kidney failure that would make the animal not want to eat. and there may not be, and we hope there's not, but we're going to ask that question. Uh, excessive drinking is a big one to know because there are a lot of diseases out there that can cause an animal to drink excessively. Uh, usually the next question I'm going to ask is, has there been any vomiting or any diarrhea that they've seen? Again, these are, could be certain problems that can go along with just direct problems like dietary indiscretion or infection but they can also be symptoms too. Vomiting can be a symptom of a GI problem, a kidney problem, a liver problem. Um, So it's a very generalized symptom and we have to consider diagnostics along with the examination to determine the cause of the vomiting. Um, And then diarrhea. Diarrhea can again be a symptom all its own or it can be a symptom of a a different underlying disease. So it kind of depends on how the animal's acting. as well as what the diarrhea looks like, what color it might be, how thick or watery it might be. So these are all things that we're gonna be asking. And then we're gonna move on to, uh, are they getting around okay? And what we're looking for here is any problems in the musculoskeletal system or potentially the neurologic system. So are they limping? Are they acting weak in a specific limb or hind end, front end? Uh, Have they seemed painful anywhere? Um, so that's, you know, kind of the things we're looking for there, which leg, try to break it down to which leg we're looking at. Um, or is it something that's moved from one leg to another? Um, in a lot of cases with limping, where I'm always going to ask about Lyme disease in our area because it is so prevalent. And I'm going to ask about what their, um, you know, status is on Lyme. Have they ever been tested? Have they ever been vaccinated? And are they up to date on it? Um, so I'm also going to ask about, uh sluggishness or lethargy now this is more of a generalized symptom but if i know they're acting kind of sluggish at home but they're in the office they're kind of bouncy i'm gonna probably believe that sluggish for from at home because when they get into the office of course they're scared they're nervous the adrenaline very oftentimes will override the fact that they're feeling kind of miserable so if the owner tells me yeah he's laying around a lot um, and then i'll ask okay is he laying around a lot because he doesn't feel good, do you think? Or is he laying around a lot because he's just lazy? And if they say, no, I don't think he feels too good, then I know we probably have a sickness somewhere. If they're like, ah, he's just a lazy boy, okay. And again, I'm going to defer to the owner's knowledge of their pet at that point, um, rather than pursuing it into any further tests at that point. Um, I'm also going to ask, are they acting painful anywhere? Anywhere you touch them, they hurt. They can hurt in the, you know, anywhere on their body. Is it a foot, a leg? An abdomen a neck um, you know a face you know anywhere where are they do they hurt and if they do where do they hurt then I'm gonna move on to as I'm listening to the heart and lungs I'm gonna ask about how they've been breathing any troubles breathing any congestion any uh, difficulty breathing um, I know owners are a lot of times like, well they're panting well panting in a lot of cases is not difficulty breathing it is rapid breathing and it could be for any number of reasons so it can be a symptom but in general i don't look at panting as trouble breathing now if they're gasping for breath if they're coughing if you know they're making weird noises that's a different ball game and that's definitely something i want to know um i ask about runny noses runny eyes congestion uh reverse sneezing and any of those type of respiratory symptoms in the lungs Um, the heart coughing is a big symptom of heart disease. So if you've got a dog that's coughing and you hear a murmur, you definitely want to look at his heart more. Then I'll move on to questions about itching and scratching. And more often than not, most owners will be like, yeah, well, they scratch some. Then of course you have to differentiate. Is it just an occasional scratch here or there, which is very normal, or is it an excessive scratch? And if it's an excessive scratch, where is it? and a lot of times you'll find the feet or the face to be some of the bigger problems um, for licking and chewing and the abdomen for scratching. Well, those are often indications of allergies. Um, But if they're going like around the base of the tail, then you want to look for fleas or a flea bite allergy. Um, So these are again, helps you to kind of pinpoint by where the problem is, what you might be dealing with. Is it all over? Is it excessive itching? Could it be a mange problem? Um, These are all things that these questions ask. And like I said, there are a hundred other more questions that could be asked by a different doctor. Um, It just really depends on what their normal um, things are. I try to ask questions that I think help me point, point me in a direction. And then I'll ask more specific questions once I'm pointed in that direction to try to figure it on out. But again, in combination with the physical exam, the most important information that we get is from the owner. 99 out of 100 times, what the owner tells me really points me in a direction. So, um, you know, give as much information as you can to the veterinarian. If there's a problem or a concern, try to be as specific as you can. Try not to just give generalized of, he doesn't feel well. He's just not himself. He's just laying around though. That tells us that the animal is unfortunately ill. It doesn't really give us a lot of information to help point us in what direction. Uh, and in which case we may end up having to run, some diagnostics because we don't have much of a history the more information we can get the more history we can get the better we can help your pet all right so i hope that gives you some good information on why a physical examination is so important um, and why it should be done yearly if you have to get your shots at a vaccine clinic that's perfectly fine but still try to get the examination done and I have had clients that are like, well, you know, it saves me $40 to not come in to the doctor of a veterinarian. And yes, that may be true, but I'm going to ask you the question, is that all your pet's life is worth to you? Because really, you know, getting that physical is so, so important to keeping your pets healthy for, and having a long, healthy life with them. All right, so I hope you learned something tonight. Um, this is Dr. Donald Shreve from the Potsker Animal Hospital. I'm going to be signing off. Now, remember, you can always shoot me an email, comment, or question at for the love of pets podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if it's a good question, we'll talk about it on air. If you want to keep it more private, we can certainly do a private response. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot me a, an email at that address. Otherwise, I will see you next week. With some more new and information, I hope you guys enjoy these podcasts. If you have any uh, suggestions for future podcasts, feel free to send them to me at the email address I provided, um, and we'll look into doing them. So, uh, Always remember to keep loving your pets because they're always going to love you. You guys have a wonderful day. God bless, and we'll see you next week.